0: Ravi Zacharias shared about a time he gave a lecture at Ohio State University. And as he was on his way to give his lecture, the host that was driving him took him past the Wexner Center for the Performing Arts. His host said to him, this is America's first postmodern building. And if you aren't familiar with postmodernism, its marks are skepticism a rejection of objective reality, meaning that there is no objective reality. There is no one truth. There's no such thing as morality or science or reason, human nature, language, and social progress. All of these things must be questioned. Ravi asked his host what a postmodern building was, and this is what he said Well, the architect said that he designed this building with no design in mind. When the architect was asked why, he said, If life itself is capricious, why should our buildings have any design and meaning? So he has pillars that have no purpose. He has stairways that go nowhere, and he has a senseless building built, and somebody has paid for it. Dr. Zacharias responded, so his argument was that if life has no purpose in design, why should the building have any design? His host said, that's correct. And then he asked his host this question. Did he do the same with the foundation? And there was no response. Dr. Zacharias uses this story to prove his point on how important the foundation is. He says, you see, you and I can fool with the infrastructure as much as we would like, but we dare not fool with the foundation because it will call our bluff in a hurry. A building's foundation is just that. It's foundational. If you have a faulty foundation, it doesn't really matter how nice a house you have or how nice a house you build it, or how well you build that house, it's going to be worthless. If you have a firm foundation, however, then you have something worth building upon, something that will stand the tests of storms and time. In his Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6, Jesus teaches the crowds what a firm foundation looks like and why that firm foundation is so important. i invite you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 6 as I read verses 46 through 49. Again, that's Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 46 and reading through verses, verse 49. Again, I'll invite you to stand out of respect for the gospel. Reading in Jesus' name. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. Father God, these are your words and your word is true. We pray this morning that you would help us to build our lives based on this firm foundation of your word and of this inerrant, infallible, inspired truth. We thank you again for your word, and Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If someone were to come up to you, and start having a conversation with you about how big of a K-State fan they were, and they go on and on and on about all of their favorite places in Lawrence, Kansas, would you believe them? What if you saw them getting into their little red car with a license plate, a Nebraska license plate that said NU for life? Would you still believe them? Would you think that that person was really a K-State fan or an undercover Huskers fan? My question is, is there such thing as an undercover Huskers fan? I haven't met one yet. But that person can say whatever it is that he or she wants to say, but it's obvious just by looking at their actions, just by looking at the things around them, where their their allegiance lies. Talk is cheap, some would say. Paying lip service and saying that you believe one thing and yet your actions tell a completely different story isn't going to convince or deceive anybody. And it's especially not going to convince or deceive Jesus. Jesus addresses the crowd that's gathered to hear him preaching in the plain with a piercing question. He asks them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? It's significant that Jesus uses the word Lord here. He uses it twice. He's not simply just saying, sir, which was a common thing back in that day. Lord was a common way to address somebody older or wiser. You'd say, sir, sir. But he isn't saying friend, friend. He isn't saying brother. He isn't saying teacher even either. He uses that word Lord. And he means it to, he intends it to mean more than just sir. But the actual meaning of Lord. It's a theme that well-meaning evangelists and preachers pick up on. And they use it in calling people to repentance. And the phrase, I'm sure you've heard it before, goes something like this. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Now, whether you realize it or not, or whether you have consciously made him the Lord of your life or not, Jesus being Lord isn't based on whether or not you receive him. Whether we like it or not, Christ is Lord, and there's nothing we can do that will remove him from his throne. But it's hard to submit to that truth, though, isn't it? It means that Jesus gets to call the shots. It means we lay ourselves down and we follow what Jesus has to say. It means we need to listen to him. Not just hear what he says, but listen and do what he says. It means that we don't tell Jesus what to do and he doesn't exist just to serve our needs or our wants. But he's the Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus mentions that there will be people that will come up to him saying, Lord, Lord, as though they're only offering lip service saying, Jesus, I know who you are, you're you're Lord, Lord, Lord. And they use the right words, they say the right things. Yet they're just like that undercover Huskers fan who's trying to pose as a K-State fan. Jesus knows that their heart isn't in it, he knows where their allegiance lies. Jesus knows that they don't really believe that he is Lord as their actions speak loudly. And there are two responses that we can have when we hear God's word. We can sit back and we can listen to the word of God being read. We can hear it proclaimed. We can put in our time and and do our duty to even show up to church, maybe even help out in church in some way. And yet the message goes in one ear and right out the other. It was merely entertainment. It was simply something to occupy your time when there is nothing better to do these days. That's one response. The other response is the Holy Spirit uses that word of God to call, to gather, to enlighten, and to sanctify us in the truth. And the Holy Spirit uses that word of God to reveal God's holy will to us and our utter inability to do what God has commanded, driving us to seek refuge in Christ and to find shelter in the shadow of the Almighty, to behold again our Redeemer, the one who has purchased us with his own precious holy blood that we might be his own, that we might live under him in his kingdom and obey him and serve him in everlasting righteousness and innocence and blessedness, as you might remember from your confirmation days. One response leaves us feeling pretty good about ourselves, and we can pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, you're doing a great job. You went to church, you heard God's word, or maybe you even read God's word. Good for you. And we can check off our box saying we did what we were supposed to do. The other response leaves us broken and undone by the weight of our sin. One response leads us to covering up our frailties, giving the appearance that we're doing better than we really are, that we don't really sin as much as we really do, that those aren't big issues. They're just minor things that we can tweak or adjust here and there when we need to. And the other response drives us to exposing our sin to bringing it to the light of Christ and asking Jesus to take care of it, saying, Christ, I can't do anything more with this. Take it from me. Forgive me from this. And the two responses couldn't be more opposite. To put it bluntly, one response will lead you to your death and it will make you feel pretty good about yourself in the meantime. And the other response will lead you to life. The word of God isn't just given for entertainment purposes or to cure insomnia. But God graciously has given his word to us for a purpose. And Paul shares that word with us with, in his book to Titus. He says this. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Paul is pretty clear about the purpose for which God sent his word, the purpose for which Christ came. God has given his word in order that it would be believed And that believing his word would compel us into action, compel us into service. It would compel us to deny all ungodliness. It would compel us to turn our back on the worldly desires that so desperately cling to our hearts. To turn our backs on those desires, no matter how badly you desire them or you even crave them. And living righteously and godly, living your life according to God's word, and in the process, looking for the hope of Christ Jesus. It's a tall order to do. And it's painful. And it's self-sacrificing. And it's, it forces you to do the things that you want to drag your heels at doing and simply not do. Because it's relinquishing control. It's looking at God's word and saying, God, what would you have me do? And then doing it. And doing what God has commanded is hard work. And more often than not, we simply don't want to do it. Wouldn't it be easier, though, if we could just have our own way? Wouldn't it be easier if we could pick and choose what following God looks like? If we could determine that, if we could serve the Lord on our own terms, wouldn't that be easier? The answer is, sure, it would be easier, but we'd only be fooling ourselves. It's no different than saying, Lord, Lord, and ignoring everything that Christ has said. Instead, Jesus explains how we ought to respond in verses 47 and 48. Jesus says this, he says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. The focus of Jesus' words here aren't on this man's action who built the house. And being well built doesn't depend on the craftsmanship of of the builder of the house, but it's just getting the point that Jesus is getting at here is the foundation. What makes this house sturdy and able to stand the stretches of time and the storms in this life is the foundation upon which it sits. What makes or breaks the building in verse 48 and 49 is the foundation Again, upon which it's built. So what is that foundation that Jesus is referring to here? He says the foundation is the rock. And the rock here is definite. Not just any rock will do. You can find rocks wherever you go. And you can think this is a nice place to build. But Jesus is specific here. He means there is one rock. The rock. There is only one foundation. And Jesus tells us what that foundation is in verse 47. He says this. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words. That rock is Jesus. That rock is his words. And the rock is the same for every person. Jesus doesn't stop there, though. He continues with a call to action. He includes this. He says, whoever comes to me and hears my words and acts on them. Meaning we don't just come to Jesus and to hear what he has to say just to be entertained, but we hear what he has to say, we listen to it, and then we do what he says. What does it mean to do the words of Jesus? Lenski explains what doing the words of Jesus is. He says this, To do the words of Jesus is to let them bring forth in us the result described in verse 20, i.e., to bestow upon us the kingdom of God. And this is done by working in us repentance and faith in the gospel. The essential doing is faith. To do the words of Jesus is to have faith, which includes contrition, the confidence of the heart, the new obedience, and all these in the power of the grace that comes to us in his words is the divine means of grace. Lenski rightly reveals who does the work here. It's the living and the active, powerful word of God. And those words of Jesus bestowed upon these believers the kingdom of God, those believers who are willing to listen, those believers who are willing to let God's word do what God's word does in our lives, to hear it and receive it with faith. The word of God drives these hearers to repentance and faith. It drives these hearers to admit their sin. It drives these hearers to look at what Christ has said in Luke chapter 6 and realize, I cannot do this. And it causes them to repent from their own desire to be their own lords. And it causes them to believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus not merely as a historical figure, but the confidence and assurance that God is gracious to us in Christ Jesus. The world that we live in is broken by sin. And because of that, there will be storms in our lives. And we find ourselves in one even now. And maybe you're somewhat isolated from this storm, or maybe you're, you're in the midst of it. For many, there's no bright light at the end of the tunnel. There's nothing that the government can do can, that can make this period simply go away. Storms can cause us to lose our bearings. Storms can bring up doubts and questions that we've had, but we've never had the courage to ask, at least not out loud. Questions that turn our attention from the rock from the rock of Christ and his word, his inerrant word, which is always true, that word that tells us that God is gracious to us in Christ and leads us to ask the questions, is God good? Can he be trusted? Is he punishing me for something? Is God judging the world right now? And it causes us to look around us for the answers. It causes us to look inside of ourselves, to look at what we've done last week for the answer to those questions when all along the answer is right in our hands, in God's word. And yet we leave the foundation for something else, for anything else. It's times like these, it's questions like these, where we have to return to the rock, where we have to rest in the solid foundation of Christ and Christ's righteousness, that finished righteousness that he has accomplished for you through him alone. It's times like these where we need to revisit again the words of Christ. It's times like these that we need to be doing these words of Christ. Letting that word penetrate our hearts and our souls. Hearing again who Jesus is and trusting in what he has done for us. The firm foundation upon which we must build our lives is the unchanging God who has revealed himself in scripture for our salvation. That foundation is this, that God the Father has sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to accomplish salvation and forgiveness, which is delivered to us through the Holy Spirit. God Almighty, three in one, working collectively together as one for the purpose of our salvation. As the psalmist writes in Psalm 62, God alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, and I shall not be shaken. Jesus mentions in this passage here that there are other places upon which to build. He says, on the ground without any foundation. And just as that rock that he had previously mentioned was definite, it's not a rock, it's the rock, so here this ground isn't any ground, but it is the ground, it's definite. Jesus is referring to something specific here. One theologian defines it as this, all the teachings, and all of the doctrines that are not the words of Jesus. He goes on to explain it as merely hearing the word by church attendance, or a more, regarding the righteousness that God requires as being only civil righteousness, a moral life according to the world's approval, omitting true contrition and relying on historical faith, modernistic faith which emasculates the gospel. The ground that he's referring to is simply living a good life. That if you live a good enough life, if you have enough good deeds that you can bank on, then that's the foundation that you build your life on. Or if you've gone to church enough, or if you've learned enough Bible passages, or if you've read the Bible from cover to cover enough times, then you'll be good to go. Or if you live a good enough life that you don't have any sin to repent of, and you convince yourself that you're pretty good, can be easy for us to build our lives on these facades because we want to believe it. We want to believe that we're better than we really are. We want to believe that we're not as messed up as scripture says that we are. We want to believe that there's more to us than just sin and death in the depths of our hearts. Yet God's word is clear. For all have sinned and fall short Of the glory of God. And there is no foundation for us upon which to build our lives, even though we try to. At the end of the day, the ground upon which this person builds is their own ideas, their own actions, their own convictions, their own opinions based on their own concept of God. Ideas like God has given us his word, but that's outdated, that's old-fashioned, I don't need to read it. I don't need to study it. Me and Jesus are okay, and we're good to go, so you can take your religion, your Christianity, and go someplace else, because I've got this personal relationship, and that's it. That doesn't exist outside of God's word. Or we can tell ourselves there's too many rules and regulations in God's word. Don't worry about those. Don't bother with those. But again... It's no different than saying, Lord, Lord, and ignoring everything that Christ has said. And so we come up with our own foundations. And we craft for ourselves gods who exist to serve our own ideas. Gods who exist to make us comfortable. Gods who exist to make us happy. Gods who exist to make us wealthy. Gods who exist to do what we want. We want our own gods to answer to us, our own reason, our own ideas, our own our desires, our own convictions become the foundation we build our lives upon. But when the storms of life come, we painfully realize that these foundations are worthless. So the question that has to be asked is what price are you willing to pay in order to make your own God? Jesus concludes his sermon on the plain with the great ruin that comes with rejecting the true foundation for some handcrafted masterpiece that we develop. When you reject the rock, you reject the one and only true foundation. Our own gods will never be able to deliver us from the storms that we face. Our own gods will never spare us from the wrath of the one true God. Our own gods cannot atone for our sins no matter how good they make us feel about ourselves no matter how comfortable they make us in this life, our own gods will let us down. However, there is a foundation, a foundation which the hymn writer writes of. He says this, he writes, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say to you than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Fear not, I am with thee. O, oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God, and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When we come to Jesus, and we hear his words, and we act on them, our foundation is secure. And we need not fear Jesus saying to us, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? But when we come to Jesus and we hear his word and we write it off and dismiss it, say, oh, it's not important. We don't need that. And we are no different. We are the people that Jesus is speaking to when he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. So today, come to Jesus, hear his words, and act on them. Believe in Christ. Know that God is gracious to us in Christ Jesus through what Christ has done in Christ alone. And build your life on the rock-solid foundation that is the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you and we praise you for your word. We thank you that your word is true and that in your word it, it does give to us instructions for how we are to live. But Lord, your word is more than that. Your word delivers to us Christ and Christ crucified. It reminds us what you have done in order to save us. And through your word, Lord, your Holy Spirit calls us to yourself. And that word is living and active and is able to pierce both bone and marrow, spirit and soul. And Lord, we pray that your word will do that today in our lives. And not just today, but each and every day. Help us, Lord, not only to be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word and to build our lives on the truth of Christ and Christ crucified for us on the inerrant, infallible word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.